drive deep center. Got a chance. This ball's getting small. It's gone for Turn on the fireworks. Castillo waiting. Lisak dealing the 2-2. High and deep to left. Got a chance to go. Into the wind. At the track. Two-run homer. Sox lead 2-0. And the 2-1 to Eloy. Swinging a long one left center field. This is tagged. Bagged. Game tying home. Game tying home run. This is White Sox Weekly. Swinging a high fly ball to right. Quick going back onto the track. This ball's carrying. Gone for a home run. That ball carried out of here. Swinging a high fly ball to left. This is it well. At the track, at the wall. Gone. Premier waits in the pitch. Inside corner strike three. This game has come to an end. Sox win. Sox win. The Chicago baseball conversation on the flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, indeed. On the air, we are live at Guaranteed Ray Field. The White Sox and the Los Angeles Angels coming up tonight. Dylan Covey on the mound for the White Sox. Andrew Haney for the Los Angeles Angels. My name is Mark Harmon. we got a full show for you today. The White Sox naming a new director of amateur scouting. Mike Shirley will be on the program coming up after 4 o'clock. Been with the organization since... All the way back 1999, working his way, working his way, and now getting the opportunity of a lifetime for a scout to start as a part-time guy and has just earned his way up the organization, getting rewarded. Also, Danny Mendek. What a story Danny Mendek is. Danny Mendek came out of high school, had no offers. Standard high school kid playing baseball. And he decides, you know what? I can go to a four-year college, but I really just want to play baseball. So he goes and he plays for a junior college team. And then he gets recruited to the University of Massachusetts Lowell. He's not really at all thinking about being a big leaguer. But then he gets drafted by the White Sox in the 22nd round. He didn't even know the White Sox were interested in him. The only team that actually had expressed interest was the Chicago Cubs. But the White Sox take him. And then he just continues to battle and battle and battle and try to get better, and now he's up in the big leagues as a September call-up. you got to love a story like that. Danny Mendick's going to be on the show today. Daryl Boston will talk about uh, the White Sox most clutch hitter and best base runner, Debo, your first base coach and outfield coach on the show today. Ron Kittle is in attendance today. It's caught up with Kitty. And Chuck Swirsky is doing television this weekend with Jason Bedetti doing college football. Uh, Chuck, of course, a legend in Chicago broadcasting. He's going to be on the show as well. Last night, tough one. Lucas Giolito pitched well, deserved to win his 15th game. Uh, Did not work out as a rare, rare uh, time this year. The White Sox bullpen was unable to hold a lead, and the Sox go down 5-4. to They've lost 9 of their last 11 as they're opening up this 6-game, 7-day homestand. Three with the Angels, of course, one in the book last night day off on Monday, and then the Kansas City Royals are here, and then the Sox will go out on their final road trip of the season. It's hard to believe, right? Nine games, ten days, they go to Seattle, uh, Minnesota, and Detroit, all coming up here And uh, before we wrap up the season. Hard to believe that, uh, hey, we are into September now, and the end of the year, I guess, is within sight. Also want to shout out Tim Anderson. Timmy, coming into today... Leading the American League with a 333 batting average. I don't know about you, 
But I never thought that Tim Anderson was going to win a batting title. I thought he'd be a guy that could hit 280, maybe 300, and get better and better at shortstop. But win a batting title hitting 333, never saw that coming. So he's got some work to do here. We got a good good ways to go. Uh, you know, the White Sox are sitting at 62 and 79. So do the math. Still got 20 plus games to go here. But a four point lead on DJ LeMayhew of the New York Yankees, who's sitting 329. Anthony Rendon leads all of baseball uh, over on the National League side at 338. So Timmy actually second in all of baseball, but leading the American League at 333. What an awesome story that is as part of this season. Let's come on back here and hear from Danny Mendick to start the show. I was in the lineup last night playing today as well. Uh, a great story of a guy rising and fighting and making it to the big leagues. We'll do that next. White Sox Weekly on the air on 720 WGN. To the count of Danny Mendick. What is it first and second, the 0-2. Bunts it down the third baseline. This is a beauty. And driving for it, he had it, did Plesek, with no throw and the bases are loaded. That's a bunt single. Get the baseball. Yeah, that's his first big league hit. Indeed, get the baseball. Sacrifice, bunt, base hit. Seven twenty WGN sitting with Danny Mendek on White Sox Weekly. Uh, first of all, congratulations on making it to the big leagues. You, you're an inspiration to a ton of people, man. There's a lot of us who were not recruited out of high school, but somehow you stuck with it and look at you in the big leagues. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a dream come true, that's for sure. So, just take people back. You're this five eight guy coming out of high school. You love baseball. Nobody wants you. Yeah, I mean, I was small. I was probably, I, I think I was like 150 pounds. I didn't have like any mass. I was a skinny guy. Out of high school, I didn't really have any offers. The only thing I had was Niagara um, College in. Where is it? In New York. I mean, it's up by, you know what I mean, up by Buffalo. And uh, I went there for a showcase and did really well. And the coach was like, you know, we might have a spot for you, we might not. And then I found out that they didn't have a spot. So I was like, you know, I want to play baseball. So I went to community college and got a look at a community college and then went and played at UMass Lowell. And, and here I am. So you show up at the community college. You're like, hey, my name's Danny. Can I play for your baseball team? <laughs> well, I had a bunch of buddies going there. So, like, some of the guys in the rival uh, rival schools in high school were going there so that I knew of. I didn't really know them personally, but I was like, you know what? It's, it's a good opportunity, and I'll get to meet these guys and get along and stuff like that. And basically kind of, like, showed up. Yeah, I didn't have any scholarship or anything like that. Did you have the grades to go to a four-year university? I mean, I was an average student. I wasn't like wasn't the best, that's for sure. Um, I would have had, yeah, I would have had grades to go to different four years. I applied to other schools and got in and stuff like that. But it was more of you know, I wanted to play baseball, and it wasn't just it was just for the love of the game at the time. Did you grow late? Were you one of those? Oh, absolutely. I think I had a growth spurt junior year of college, put on some size, um, and then senior year I was you know, I was I was still smaller than I am now. I was probably about 170 pounds, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I hit my growth spread. I was a little late bloomer. I mean, I, I can relate, and that's a beautiful thing. So, okay, so you, you do two years at community college, then you get recruited, I'm assuming, by UMass Lowell? Yes, I got recruited. Uh, Ken Herring is the manager over there. He's still the manager, or the coach over there. And uh, him and Dave Bruss go back. They played pro ball together. He was my coach, or one of my coaches at, um, at MCC. And he talked, and they were like, I need a shortstop. Who do you got? And they were like, well, we have two of them. You got to come and check him out. So he came and he saw us take ground balls, and he was like, "You know, I like Mendick, and is he?" And then he offered me, you know, to come there and play. So at that point in time, were you 
just thinking I'm a shortstop. This is what I do. No, at the time that year, I played second and short. I was every other game. Me and my buddy uh, flipped. So it was good. I mean, that was good because I got to play both. Uh, and you're playing obviously your your role right now, and I think the way you're looking at your career is: look, I could play short, I could play third, I could play second. You could stick me in the outfield. You did this all season long at AAA. How did you get yourself comfortable all across the diamond outside, just like being a baseball player? I'm thinking of Joe McEwing, bench coach here. I mean, he played all over the place too. Yeah, I think it just comes you know it comes down to being an athlete. You know, I grew up playing. I have a hockey rink in my backyard, so we played you know hockey growing up, and I played basketball a little bit and stuff like. That. I just loved playing all the sports. So when I go out there and play different positions it's you know it's just trying to be athletic and having fun with it and it's not really about being key honed in the position but just trying to be go get the ball you know what i mean anywhere i play it's not easy though right i mean at third that ball's coming at you you had less reaction time and you got at short you got to have range and then set yourself there's a whole i mean it's a lot of different skill sets here oh yeah absolutely i mean third base it's more reaction you know and then shortstop i don't have the greatest arm but i'm gonna make sure i know how to use it you know there's a lot of guys in the in the league that have more talent than i do but i'm gonna try to outwork them and and use my arm to my to my advantage where does the work ethic come from uh, I'd have to say my, my family. My dad uh, my dad worked his butt off, you know, and, and kind of proved that and showed it to me with his business. It wasn't even with sports. It was just with his business. And, you know, I kind of wanted to follow that. And and not just about school and, and work and business and stuff like that, but just in life in general, you know what I mean? And that's kind of where it's, it brought me to baseball, and I'm here now. What does Pops do? He's in commercial real estate. Yeah. So he's one of those, like, up at 6 a.m. out the door types? <laughs> well, he has his own he has his own business now, so he yeah. can uh, kind of – he's a little more lenient. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you know what I mean? He came, started from the bottom and worked his way up and really provided for my mom, my sister, and I. So it's it's awesome. A lot of respect for Dad. A lot of respect for Dad. And you, the, where what are you of the, of the Mendek sons, daughters? How many are there? So – of my family, I'm the oldest. Um, there's just me and my sister, so I'm the oldest boy, only boy too. Um, I got cousins. I got a cousin that's a, a boy, and then on my other side, just all three girls. So, so what was it like when you, you uh, told mom and dad I'm, I'm going to the big leagues? That was a pretty surreal moment. Uh, it didn't register at the time because it was weird. We just lost, and uh, we were in that playoff push, um, which was a tough game. But. You know, once I when I called, I mean, my mom was sobbing, and my parents were just very excited because it. You know, they've seen all the work that I've put in throughout the course of my life, and uh, it was just a cool moment to share with them. So let's let's rewind back uh, at the beginning of your White Sox journey, and you know, I, I know that you were you were a guy that would be in Winston Salem, and you get shuffled up to Charlotte. That's you're skipping Double A in that process. You were the MVP of the the Birmingham Barons at Double A, but it seemed like you were just a guy that hey we trust this dude even though he might not be ready to play in AAA right now we'll put him up there because he can he'll represent us well yeah absolutely I don't you know I don't know if it was an experience I don't know if the uh, you know if they were just doing it as a filler type thing that knew I could play defense and hold my own and stuff like that um, maybe it was even to give me a chance to see what AAA was like but uh, at that time it was you know it was a little frustrating I was bouncing back and forth I wasn't really playing um, and that off season I went into the, you know I went into it as like I got to get a lot better and prove to them that I can be an everyday guy no matter what level it is. And that's kind of the way I took it. I just I didn't really think of it as a bad thing. I was just like just motivated me to be an everyday guy. So they're getting ready for some White Sox uh, entertainment here. So we got some music, which I think is going to actually be a boon for this interview, Danny, because it's like <laughs> it's like a, it's like another obstacle in uh, on the uh, on the Mendek journey. So uh, you you drop down the bunt with two strikes. That was, and the dugout loved it. 
and then you hit the double. Yeah, well, it was actually a single. Um, but, yeah, the bunt, I, the first one was a curveball, and I kind of got a little shy and pulled it back. Then the next one I fouled off, and I'm looking at Cappy, and he puts it down again. And I'm like, all right, I'm putting my face in this bunt. You know, I don't care if I lose my teeth or anything. I'm getting this thing down. Threw me another curveball, and I got it down, and it ended up being a hit. So it worked out in my favor. I, I, w- I was reading that you, you, you couldn't feel your legs after the base hit. Yeah, after the pinch run, the first pinch run, when I came in and I was running a third, I was like, my legs, I mean, you play, I played 130 games in, in Charlotte, and I couldn't even feel them. I mean, it felt great. Best I felt all year. Do you, when you're walking on that field for the first time and you're looking around, are, are you able to sort of just have the smile on your face like, oh, my God, or does it, or is it, I, I, I can't even imagine, like, if you're, because you, I don't think you, I'm, the way I'm hearing is you didn't actually think you would ever be doing this. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? I played baseball for the for the love and the fun of it, so I didn't think, yeah, I wanted to be in the big leagues, and it was a dream, but it was just step by step. I went, you know, day by day. I never looked in the future and was like, all right, I need to do this, this, and this to be a big leaguer. It was just every year I tried to do something different that would make me better and excel. Um, but when I actually got out there, I it kind of felt like spring training. I was still in like that. And then when, we were, when I got the start um, yesterday, it was it, it was it kicked in it, it felt real so who along the way from the, from the white sox helped you the most i know you had a, a bond with willie harris at one point but anybody else jumped to mind yeah absolutely i mean mike gallinger my first year was our manager now he's the hitting coordinator um just a great guy and he, he kind of taught me you know how to be a baseball player professionally um and then and it, as, as he's now been the hitting coordinator really helped me with my swing along the way um, Willie Harris was a huge impact. He, ta- you know, he taught me how to be a grinder of an athlete, a grinder of a player. Um, he actually texted me and was was getting on me a little bit about some stuff that I did. But um, and then I had, you know, and Frank Menachino and Mark Rezalonic. Those two guys these past year were unbelievable. I mean, Frank has helped me tremendously with my swing, and then Grudz was just a huge impact for me for the game. And I, I truly, I can't even thank those guys enough. Were they, would you say, perhaps holding a dream for you that you weren't? thinking for yourself you know like they're like hey like it just seems to me like when you were at at least in the lower levels of minors like willie's painting a picture of how you could get there when maybe you're just trying to survive the day oh absolutely i was just trying to survive the year and continue to play baseball and willie had yeah he did he probably had a more of an outlook because you know willie played what nine years or so in the big league so he had a you know he knew what the process was and tell you what it 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 made an impact on my career was there any moment uh, along the way like you know what you know what maybe spring training this year i don't know where you you thought yourself you know i i can compete on this level yeah oh yeah you know spring training this year was it for sure because going into spring training when i got the invite to big league camp i was like you know i gotta i gotta prove to everybody because i'm a no-name guy you know i gotta go out there and prove that i can play with in the big leagues and i did you know i went out there and i was fortunate enough but you know that's where the hard work comes in in the off season and that's where i was prepared for it so when you have success like that i was i was ready for it and then then i knew you know i could play with them so what do we where do we go from here well, we try to improve every day, and then this off season we try to take it and and improve on what we did bad, and and try to make everything better. And, and lastly, let's go back to uh, the end of the Charlotte season. That had to be tough for you guys, uh, long grind, and then uh, come up short at the end. Yeah, you know what? We kind of uh, we had our chance earlier in that that weeks before. Um, we we got swept by Durham, and that was that that basically changed everything because that brought them back in it. And then you know it sucks that it came down to the last game. Um, and we just got unlucky and unfortunate, and 
you know, it is what it is, but we, we had a really good team, really good coaching staff, and I couldn't have been happier with how the season went. So I think a lot of people think that they're, you know, in the minors, it's all about just individuals trying to get better, but it sounds like there was a, a team atmosphere there. Yeah, it's cool, because normally you think of AAA and you think all these guys just want to get to the big leagues, you know what I mean? But we had a team that was really just out for the team, and, and yeah, you want to do well for yourself, but like... During the game, you could just tell that once one guy got a hit, then you wanted to get him over, and then you wanted, you know, everyone wanted to win, and it it showed. I mean, we had a good season. That's a credit to you guys. Credit to Grud too, I assume. Oh, absolutely. It, it was. It, it stems from the top. You know what I mean? It stemmed from the top there, and it was awesome. Well, Danny, I hope you got a bunch of opportunities here uh, in September. People are looking forward to. It. Congrats on the journey. These things don't happen every day, so right. sa- savor it, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Danny Mendek, who was in the lineup last night, went one for four. Not playing today as White Sox will lead off with Tim Anderson. Then it's Moncada, Abreu, Jimenez, McCann, Collins, Angle, Yomer, and Ryan Cordell. White Sox and the Los Angeles Angels coming up. Great to catch up with. Danny Mendick, a guy that is very, very easy to root for. The White Sox have named a new director of amateur scouting. Mike Shirley will do that coming up after 4 o'clock. Quick timeout. This is White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Mike Shirley coming up. And we got a full show for you today. Ron Kittle. Chuck Swirsky, Aaron Bummer, all straight ahead on White Sox Weekly with you till 5.30 when Andy Mazur will take over the pregame show. Let's go to our week in review as we'll actually start last Sunday in Atlanta. Lucas Giolito on the mound trying to get win number 15 on the year and White Sox go down to the Braves. But it's not every day that Lucas Giolito does this, so it's worth an appearance on the week in review. A ball of two strikes and two down. The 1-2 line to right center. That's a base hit. That's going to get a run in. Ingles sprints for third. They're going to wave him home. Here he comes from third to throw. We're even at two on a single by Lucas Giolito. And that came in the second inning. White Sox were down 2-0. They did go on to lose the game 5-3. But Lucas coming through with the bat on the row. That was impressive. Monday, Labor Day, the Indians rolled to finish up or to start the series, which uh, ended up with the White Sox, of course, splitting the four games. Game one was 11-3. to Game two, the White Sox were down late, 5-2. It was the eighth inning. A couple of runners on for James McCann. And the pitch to James, swinging a high fly ball to the left. This is it well. At the track, at the wall. It is gone. And we tied the game at five here in the eighth. That was unbelievable, and even better, Aloy up next. There's the one-two. Swinging a high fly ball to right. Puig going back onto the track. This ball's carrying. It is gone for a home run. That ball carried out of here. White Sox go back-to-back and leave 6-5. to five. What a comeback and what a win. A much-needed win, uh, to say the least, as the Sox ended a lengthy losing streak. They lost seven in a row at that point. 6-5 White Sox winner. The next night, Sox rally, too, coming back uh, to make it a game in the ninth inning, but an incredible play with the bases loaded. Eloy ripping a shot to center uh, that was tracked down, and the Indians were able to hold on 8-6. to six. But Thursday in Cleveland, Ronaldo Lopez, his first ever complete game. He was phenomenal. Friend Mio waits in the pitch. Inside corner strike three. This game has come to an end. Sox win. Sox win. Split the four-game series. They're with Cleveland 7-1. to one. 
And that was just, I think, enormous for the ball club and specifically Ronaldo Lopez. When you've had the up-and-down year that he's had and certainly has been a whole lot better in the second half, but there have been some struggles as of late. Uh, he did not get out of the first inning in his last start against the Atlanta Braves. To, co- to bounce back and go nine innings and give up one hit, one earned run in the second inning on a ball that really could have been caught, striking out 11, 109 pitches, 70 for strikes, win number nine on the year. That's, that has to be a big-time confidence booster for Fernaldo uh, and a nice win for the White Sox. Last night, Sox had a 4-2 lead late and gave up three to fall to the Angels in game one of the series, but Tim Anderson continues to roll. It's a high, deep drive, straight left field, way back and gone! Tim Anderson teeing off on a first-pitch changeup to make it a 4-1 White Sox lead. Timmy hitting 333 again, just leading the American League in batting average. Let's all hope that it uh, it happens for Timmy. I was talking with Daryl Boston before the game. He didn't even know that Tim was actually leading the American League in batting. So these guys are just locked in day-to-day as to what they're doing, not exactly looking at the stats. But now it's in sight, right? So uh, I don't know if you, if you talk to him more or you stay away from him, whatever it is, but... Uh, I'm sure Timmy is, is is at least starting to think about, hey, I could win a batting title. That doesn't exactly happen every single day. The new director of amateur scouting, Mike Shirley, who's been with the White Sox for 20 years, is coming up after the 4 o'clock news. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN. 720 WGN, this is White Sox Weekly, and the new director of amateur scouting, Mike Shirley, is with us. How does that, how does, how's that sound? How's that feeling? Uh, exciting. I mean, I, I cherish the opportunity, looking forward to the future, uh, excited to be a part of the past, but also it's a new role, so you know we'll do absolutely best to keep this thing moving forward. So I just watched your press conference with uh, the Chicago media, and I, I think you used the word team about a hundred times. So you're clearly not you, you don't want the focus just to be on you, but you also have a, a larger role now. Absolutely, I mean this is about an organization building something together. Um, each piece must do its part. Uh, the amateur scouting department, which I'm responsible, we have thirty great men that work in this, and. I'm excited for their future, our future, where we're going. Scouting directors of the past have done great jobs. I mean, I just want to continue the process we made. So you started in the organization in in what year? Uh, 1999, I was actually a part-time scout hired uh, to do Scout the State of Indiana. So it's been 19, working on 20 years. So So as a part-time scout trying to make your way in baseball, what are you making? Roughly? When I first started, um, it was light. Let's just say it was real light. So, but the, right, the point is that you have to really love it, and you want to be around it, and you have to love sitting there at a field where there's 20 people maybe with a radar gun and, and watching things and somehow trying to find some value. It's not, it's not an easy gig. No, it, I mean, it's clearly something you have passion for. I think the passion has driven me to this point. It's something I know is not going away tomorrow. Uh, you play in the minor leagues, you feel that, you build that through a career. It's just something that never goes away. If you're a baseball man, you're a baseball man. And I feel like that's what I've grown to be, for sure. So you see talent all the time. 
but it's you also have to judge makeup, right? I mean, is this guy going to have the wherewithal to handle the ups and downs and to really want it to move through the minors when he's going to be, say, a 10th, 15th, 20th round pick? Where, like a guy like Danny Mendick, nobody, a guy like that does, you, you don't know where he's going to go, but he's got to have a lot of inner confidence and belief and want to get there. Like, So, how do you try to figure that out as you're scouting a guy? Well, I think. That's that's your role. That's your job. It's. I mean, everybody thinks, oh, you're a scout. You just go to baseball games. I think it's so much more in depth that these guys work so hard. They drive hours to see players um, go through the process of being a player. Your job is to evaluate not only the skill set that they physically bring, but the the person they are, the background, the parents, their history, how healthy they are. There's so many things that go into like the scouting process. It's just not like, hey, oh, he's a good player. We're going to take him now. That's it's a way more in depth conversation. And makeup is a key. I mean, that's a, just a, the foundational piece. And I want you to do a little word of the wise for any high school kids who may be listening right now. Do, would you not ask like their teachers uh, where they eat? Like you, you're going to get information wherever you can, right? Uh, anywhere and everywhere. Those Twitter accounts, those Facebook accounts. Um, so many people. Uh, they make mistakes in those arenas that you know we do have to ask them the question why this or why that uh the makeup of how you treat others i mean it says something about who you are as a person and how you care about others those foundational pieces they 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 matter the internet is written in ink it is (laughs) so can you give a i know you've got a, a ton of guys of course you know 20 plus years here but is there any story where you think back like i scouted this guy and it just sort of like hits you on the heart that you're so glad that he got to where he got to you know my favorite not my favorite because i have a lot of favorites it's it's hard to single one player out but my time with nate jones signing him scouting him was special Um, i think if you white Sox fans know how talented nate was the ups and downs he's been through the go through his career but nate jones is an even better man and person than that and we were lucky to have nate we only wish him the best all the time in years he spent here he's a true white Sox piece for us and he great career but most importantly great man great family he came from down there in kentucky is a special special situation what was the draw with nate that uh, stood, stood, stood excuse me stood out for you nate threw like a hundred <laughs> nate had a power power breaking ball that's hard to find you know but i mean chris getz was special clayton richard was special there's some of these people you know are special we talked about jonathan stever a little bit down to the special aaron bummer I mean, we, we talked about that story with him where we just we kept hunting him down in the draft round after round after round, just trying to get him to agree to terms. And, you know, it's turned out to work really well. I mean, it's great. He pitches the eighth inning. He's a substantial piece for us right now. So this, those stories, that they matter. You know, so. I heard through the grapevine that you have a, sp- a special thing with Aaron Bummer as far as what you sort of just started to name there. What, what, what was it about Aaron that made you want to continue to chase him like that? You know, first off, it starts with an area scout and J.J. Lally who really believed in Aaron and, and what he was. I mean, those pieces matter. You go see, he had a quality history. There were some things mechanically he did that you didn't agree with. You think if this guy fixes this, he really has a chance. But, you know, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad. I mean, we talk about that story just like unrelenting calling him round after round after round, just like just trying to get him to you know agree to be a White Sox. And I give the kid like who he is, the courage he had to say no round after round. You, you, I mean, it says who he is. See, that's a word that I'm still trying to learn for myself. No, because it, because if because if you say no, then they may never call you again. You got to have a little belief in yourself. That does speak to a lot. But 
but the truth on Aaron, I think if you ask him, like he was making the right decision because you think about what he's doing today, I think it shows what he believed in himself. And even those moments of adversity or challenge when someone's his dreams got a possibility coming true, he had the ability to say no. And I think that speaks to who he is. And so when you're sitting with a guy, too, who's just trying to say exactly what you want, what he thinks you want to hear, I mean, you have to have your antenna up for that, too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's pulling the curtain back and looking a little deeper. I think that's where the, when you talk about speaking to a teacher or knowing the background of players, that's, I mean, I joke, one of my good friends is the director of scouting for the Pacers, and he talks about situations with me where he pulls a deeper curtain back, and we have these conversations a lot about, like, you have to look beyond the surface so much, and you get good at reading the tell on players that they're telling you just what you want to hear. So... And then there's the other side. This dude is super talented. I think he could be, a, whatever, a 30-30 guy. And then there's the off-field that I don't like. How, how do you – do you take a risk on a guy like that? Because not everybody's going to be coming here with uh, you know the straight-A student who's got a perfect makeup. Well, first off, if taking – if there was a perfect world to this, I wouldn't be sitting here because someone else would still be doing this job. Um, it's difficult. And I think you have to be willing to take risk in the right situations. Risk management, just like anything else, it's vital, crucial. But the White Sox organizations must continue to take risk on players. If we don't, we will be left behind. So that will continue to happen. And that's an orchestrated event also. We know about the makeup. We know about the limitations of players. We are well aware of those. We feel you, White Sox fans. They have limitations, but we will continue to risk and hopefully get the reward we're looking for. Well, it's, it's, it's all, I get it. It's a balancing act here. I want to go back to you mentioned Chris Getz, and I, I used to work in Kansas City, and so I saw Getz playing uh, with the Royals, and I would see him in spring training, and he would walk in, and this was just a really confident, relaxed, easygoing guy, and then, and he's not, you know, six three. And yet, a guy like that makes it like, what, what were you seeing in Chris Getz back in the day? I think that's exactly what you see in Chris. He looks so confident, comfortable. I'm, I'm just talking about the scout who scouted Chris Getz. That's what you see in him physically, the mannerisms. But the more you get to know him, you realize the competitive nature. It's super intelligent. It's a baseball rat, and he loves it, and he's passionate about it. So those exteriors... You don't always get to see. He trust me. Yeah. I, I I know White Sox fans. Yeah, he he's he's the right man for as a player, and he's the right guy running our minor league system. Mike Shirley's with us here, the new director of amateur scouting for Chicago White Sox. So, take us behind the scenes here. They approach you for the gig. When? How does that go down? Well, that I mean, that's you know, you know, you get brought in for the interview. They, I mean, I, I had a candid conversation with Rick and. Kenny and well, Rick was telling me that you know they wanted to make sure they hired the right man. They want it wasn't just like stay internal. They did look at this through a wide lens, through a deep lens. It wasn't they want what's best for the White Sox. Those guys are working extremely hard to build something here, and we are headed in the right direction. So it wasn't just like hand this off to Mike. It was an interview. Um, Rick was intent with some of the questions he directed at me. You're talking about a man who oh, I feel like I have a great relationship. He pulled no punches, and it was, you know, he, he put me to the test. So it was interesting. Not, and not, to be fair, it wasn't necessarily what I expected because when you have a friendship with somebody like that, I, I prepared. I wanted to try to win the job. I did. I mean, 
it's not every day you get offered this opportunity. They call you up. They say it's you. Oh man, that I mean, look, man. I like I told you down there. I've, I've driven the, the back roads. I, I've been, you know, I've 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 seen games no one else saw. But I wanted to get from where I've been to where I'm at. That, that no one. I mean, I know my wife knows. My children know. Outside of that, there ain't many that know. So, and you don't ever know that it's going to happen. And 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 again, this is another step along the journey. But it's just it's a validation for everything you put into it. Uh, yes, but it's also like a validation that your appreciation for the White Sox believing in you and believing that this is the right place. It's it's my place. I'm on the team. I want to continue to be on the team. There's so much more to this for me that means more because the relationships, the people. I'm a fan. I believe in this place. I was born and bred and raised here. It's something I want to continue on. So. And you were here in '05, and so we're, we're dreaming it again, right? I mean, it's 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 coming. That's that's the goal, right? It's absolutely the goal. I mean, I I, I don't the high end competitive environment we continue to try to mold around here. That's that's from top to bottom. That's the goal. And '05 was special. I think White Sox fans know how special it was. I remember what it was like. I mean, I. I want to go there again. I, we all want to go there again. Do you have a favorite 05 moment? You're lighting up talking about it. Just like being with my children, because I'm just an area scout, sitting there watching the game late, just being with my children, just getting to experience that with my family. She'd spent so many years in baseball and the minor leagues and doing all that. I, I think it's just it's special. It's just special, the, the men that you work with every day, the celebrations. Um, it's just unique. I remember White Sox fans just crazy like my son watched this dvd of the championship that they put out like day after day after day after day him growing up as a kid so it never stopped for like two years because we watched that dvd over and over again so special as we wrap up here let's do it next steps uh you know what's right in front of you right now uh just getting communication conversations going with all the scouts obviously just named today um it's just just you know connecting with them making sure everybody is in the right spot sharing vision with them um we have a couple scouts we we have to hire um and we're looking forward to hiring you know fresh new faces and Keeping it going, keeping it going right. So. Got a little bit of time. I think I can. Re- I can. I can. I got. I got. I got some skills here. Now I've been. You know, I've been around the park my whole life. Yeah. Anything else you're looking for? Makeup. Right. So the makeup's right. What about the skill set? I mean, I could be a little bit light on the skill set. Well, but congratulations. Uh, I'm thinking. You know, if not 2020, 2021, hoist it up and uh, and then let's go back to back. Absolutely. Let's let's please do that. And we all look forward to that. So, thanks for the time. It's really a good opportunity for me so it's our pleasure it's white Sox weekly 720 wgn bummer from the set the pitch struck him out swinging he did strike out the side white Sox weekly 720 wgn so we just had mike shirley and i'm catching up with aaron bummer here which we learned from the white Sox new director of amateur scouting that you were just turning down deals left and right you were believing yourself so a i want to say congratulations in believing yourself you're here but uh, take us through the mindset at the time well thank you um yeah i mean it's just kind of one of those things where it wasn't a situation that uh i necessarily expected to be in and you know i was perfectly happy with going back to college and um starting my professional career a year later 
and um, you know the White Sox, JJ Lally, and all the guys. Um, Surely, all those guys. I mean, they just kept calling and kept asking, and uh, you know, I was sitting there one, sitting there a couple hours afterwards, and I was like, all right, like, I mean, if these guys want me this bad to keep calling, keep calling, man, I got to give them a chance and give myself a chance because they got to believe in me. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm happy as heck that uh, they kept calling the phone. So originally at the time we were like, is it was it the money or were you more like, you know what, I, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to do that and I'd rather make sure I got my education? Um, honestly, it was a combination of everything. It was one of those things where guys kind of, uh, our coach asked kind of if you thought that you could pitch in the big leagues right then and if you thought that you could be a big leaguer and if you didn't think that you could be a big leaguer, um, you know, it was probably in your best interest to go back to school and kind of finish up your degree. And uh, so me and Coach Erstad had a lot of talks and uh, had a lot of talks on that day and eventually decided that it was best for me to kind of go out and uh, definitely start my journey. And, you know, we can't complain where it ended up. Right, and we should mention, I mean, Darren Erstad, Knows the big leagues, played it for a long time, but so he, that 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 had to be a great voice to lean on at the time. I mean, he was a guy that had everyone was players first, and you know he was um, he wasn't going to lie to you. He wasn't going to tell you anything that, uh, or he was going to tell you the things that you didn't want to hear. Um, he wasn't going to sugarcoat things, and you know it's a relationship that I'm so thankful to have to this day that uh, he's kind of in my corner and everyone's corner that uh he's either played with or that he's coached so yeah i mean he's an awesome experience awesome experience to play for him and really thankful for his kind of tutelage through it all as a nebraska guy what's that football team looking like you know <laughs> all i know is that colorado that colorado stadium is looking a whole lot of red today so you know hopefully we come out with a w and move on have you seen nebraska play out at northwestern here uh yeah it's awesome it's it's red it's it's beyond it's it's painful for us Wildcat fans right here. But uh, congratulations on that. What, what do you think about Michigan almost getting beat here by Army? I thought they were gonna, they should have lost that game. They should have. They should have. They lost. Army turned the ball over on first and goal or third and goal. God, it's a tough day. Tough day to be an Army fan. So. I don't want to throw too much shade here, but I don't think that Jim Harbaugh should be able to wear Jordan Brand. That's the greatest player of all time. Why should Harbaugh have that on his hat? Hey, I don't know anything about that, but that university's got a whole lot of street cred, so I think that they are able to do whatever the heck they want, regardless of the coach. Well, that is true. Uh, last one, I was just watching you out in the field here, uh, you know, well before game time. You're working on your pickoff throw to first base. I hope I'm not giving anything away here, but you know, it's September, and you, you're, you guys are still out there grinding. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's something that everyone in here is still striving to get better every day, and there's always something that we can get better at. And, you know, if it's a little thing of throwing the bases or doing pickoffs, taking ground balls, fly balls, anything like that, I mean, we're out here to propel ourselves into next year and propel ourselves for the rest of this month, and the work never stops. Did you hear Debo loving your move? Oh, yeah. Debo's the man. He loves everybody. He's good. <laughs> good to see you, Aaron Bummer. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, there's Aaron Bummer a little bit ago. Aaron Bummer, by the way, 10th amongst American League relievers uh, in ERA at 2.29. He's tied for 11th in holds at 19. Opponents batting average, he's 17th. Uh, Opponents are hitting 197 against him this season. Lefties, 15-74. That's excellent, 203. And righties, Kind of surprisingly, even worse, uh, 193, 23 for 119. So a left-hander who can get out both lefties and righties, those um, 
you do not see every single day in the big leagues. He's also uh, reached 100 career strikeouts. Uh, that was on September the 3rd versus the Indians. So it's been a great year uh, for Aaron Bummer, even though he had a rough night last night. Uh, Sox fans, join us as the White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals. That's a 1-10 first pitch Thursday, September the 12th. First 10,000 fans age 21 and over will get a free Chicago White Sox t-shirt presented by Budweiser. Purchase your tickets at whitesox.com today. White Sox and the Angels coming on up here, but coming up next on White Sox Weekly after the 4.30 news, we'll have a conversation with the White Sox first base coach, outfield coach, who's been here a long time, Daryl Boston, been the base coach since 2013, but of course uh, been in the White Sox organization as a player uh, and off the field for pretty much, uh, you can go all the way back to, call it 1986, I want to say. So Debo, coming up after the 4.30 news. Quick timeout, 720 WGN. At the wall, the 380, gone. A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. First base coach, outfield coach, Gerald Boston. Who's the best base runner on this team? What? Ooh. Well, I like to think it's Ingle uh, because he's one of our faster guys, but the uh, probably the best base runner may be uh, James McCann, who just who, who, he runs the bases with instincts. He's not very fast, but he knows when he can get the extra base, and you know he's going to give you all he got. How do you teach that? Because sometimes it is the guy that's not the fastest, but he knows exactly what to do out there. I don't. I don't think you can really teach that. I remember back back when I played back in my days. I played with Carlton Fisk, who who also wasn't one of the fastest guys on on the team. But he he he, he just had great instincts. He knew how to go first or third. Uh, could read a base hit. Uh, you know, balls in the gaps or little bloopers. He just had great instincts. And you know, and McCann is one of those guys as well. So let's say you got a super fast guy like Adam Engel, and you're trying to teach him how to become a better base dealer. What what does that process look like? Uh, we just got to get him a few more opportunities. He, you know, he, he comes out, he does his work. He, you know, he gets, he gets great leads. Um, uh, he's explosive. You know, out of out of out of his uh, start. You know, we just got to get him more opportunities. But even away from him, like there's been a lot of fast guys in baseball who could not steal bases for whatever reason. And I don't I don't even know if you can coach a guy to figure that out. I'm, I mean, that's part of your gig, so you can make him better. But like, I'm just curious what what's like point one of how to help that. I mean, you just got to have like a quick twitch muscles, like you know. I guess uh, uh, Bernie Williams is another guy that I played with who was who was uh, you know super fast, but did, was not the best uh, base dealer uh, in the league. And it's just I don't know. I, you know, Vince Coleman, who I played with as well, you know, stole 100, 118 bases or something. I don't know. So I mean, it's just a matter of the, those quick twitch muscles. And we got a few guys. Leroy, uh, uh, I call him Leroy, but Larry Garcia is a guy who can. Who can still base the TA has super quick twitch muscles. Uh, it's just a matter of getting more opportunities. Do you want to see the stolen base come back in baseball? Absolutely. I mean, I believe it can help you win some ball games. Uh, but in today's age, it's just you know sit back and three run homer. But you know, late in the game when you need to steal the base, man, is is very important. Can you see that changing over time? Like maybe we're just in a window where everyone's trying to hit the home run where. I don't know, five years from now, everyone's like, hey, if they're going to give you the whole left side, then shoot it that way and let, let's steal a bag. Well, I believe eventually, uh, you know, it, it'll all come full circle. 
I mean, soon, I mean, we're teaching it now. If they're going to give you the right side or uh, with the shift, you know, you, you might as well take it. It's, it's, it's a free hit, and, and you need you need you need uh, activity on the bases. You need guys on the bases. What's your favorite thing to do over there when you don't have to, you know, have a lot of communication? Like, how do you keep yourself entertained? Well, I'm a fan friendly person, so I like to, I like to mingle with some of the people up in the stands. <laughs> I mean, you could get you if you don't stay engaged. You could get bored. Like you, you gotta, you gotta make friends or something, right? Well, I mean, I try to, I try to bring some energy to the, you know, to the game, and and and, and you know, sometimes when it's when it's a slow night and we're not swinging the bat, bats very well, it gets to be a little difficult over there. So one of my favorite Daryl Boston things is when uh, the White Sox honor someone from the military. And you come out, and when they're behind home plate, that's your gig. Nick Capper gets it down the line, but you take the time behind, with the with the gentleman or the woman if she's behind home plate. Yeah, I mean it's it's an opportunity for not just uh, myself, but the White Sox as an organization to recognize the uh, the heroes who have you know have served for this country, and you know it's just an honor. I, you know, we give them a token of our appreciation, and, and we just, you know, it's, a, it's their moment. That's, that's kind of what I say when I walk over. I say, man, check this out, man. These people are appreciating the things that you have done for us. Is that what you say? That's kind of one of the things I say to them, yeah. Anything else? I'm, I'm always wondering, what's he saying? Yeah, and that is, that's kind of because, you know, you sit back in these stadiums, and, I mean, as a player, you sit back and you, you, you have to just admire, you know, the 15, 20, 30,000 people that's in the stands. And, and for that one moment, you know, they, we are all recognizing that one person. So what do you miss most about playing the game? Uh, well, I still feel like I could play, except I just can't run no more. But I don't know. I, I, you know, I still get the, I guess, the competition, competing. I feel like every day as a coach, you still compete. You still, we still in the, you know, in the in the back room looking at video and trying to find any edge that we can to help this team win. So it's it's, it's just competing. How come we only have one African American player on the White Sox? I'm not. It's not limited to the White Sox. Around baseball, what 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 do we got to do to get that where it should be? Well, I mean, we we've made initiatives to try to uh, correct that, and that's you know building building parks or giving them more opportunities. Uh, like I have a son, a 16 year old son who, who 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 prefers to play basketball over baseball, and you know I, I don't know, it's just a cultural thing. But I mean, the opportunities are, are are there now. We've 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 seen the the RBI program. The Sox have the the ACE program, and we're trying to you know trying to um, trying to get them back into the game. And basically, that's what we're trying to do: is trying to make it up, make it uh, uh, not only affordable. Most of these sports now are, are year-round sports, and they become a very expensive uh, uh, upkeep. But you know, we we're trying to make it make it available to to, to everybody now. How'd you fall in love with the game? Well, I mean, growing up, I was a three-sport star. Uh, not star, but three-port sports player. And, and, you know, sometimes... No, no, don't, 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 don't back that off. Three-sport three star. No, no. <laughs> no, I played all three sports, football, baseball, and basketball. And, right. you know, my favorite sport at the time was whatever season it was. And, and eventually, one of the sports will choose you. Uh, you become better at one of them, and that's kind of what happened. You know, I talk to Michael Huff about that all the time as far as you know, kids think or parents think, we got to specialize, you're eight years old, you better pick something. The other side of it is you're becoming a better athlete, and it sort of, as you just said, picks you. You know, and, you know the foundation of being a, an athlete is you know some of the stuff is still the same. You got to have good balance, you got to have good vision, and you have to you know you, you got to be mobile, and uh, you can use all those things in football, baseball, and basketball. All right. 
I'm going to put you on the spot one more time here. Two outs in the ninth, runner on second, game's tied. Harold Baines. Harold Baines. On this team. Harold Baines. Harold Baines. Bring him out of retirement. We want Harold Baines at the plate. Give me one guy on this. Who's your number one pick on this team? Uh, you love them all, I know. Uh, who do I want to, in a, a clutch situation? Uh, Pito. I guess, you know, Pito, he, he drives in our big runs. I'll go with, I'll go with a break. You. Is there, there's another thing that I hear the new wave baseball people say. There's nothing, it's not true that there's no, nothing, no, there, there's no such thing, I'm trying to say, as a clutch hitter. And I, I, I just can't, I can't get with that, Daryl Boston. There's got to be somebody who can handle the pressure more in the ninth than a guy that can, you know, gets a hit in, hit in the fourth when you're up five two. I mean, uh, sure, sure there is. I mean, uh, I ain't gonna say your 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 sphincter gets tight the later the game gets, but you know, you know there there there. <laughs> but there there there's some pressure that comes along with you know being a closer and trying to shut down the game or coming up in the eighth and ninth inning with the. With the game on the line and being able to rise to that occasion, you know, I, I like to think that we got you know a few guys that's in this clubhouse that's going to be able to do that and it's going to you know help us you know moving forward. What was your first year as a coach here? Uh, 2013, but I've been in the organization since 1998. Uh, right, so 2013 though as a coach, we're in 2019. What would it mean to Daryl Boston to see this team? Get in the playoffs and do something special, 2020, 2021. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, man. It's, it's, it's been a long time coming. I'm, you know, I, I, I want, I want to play them games that mean something in September and October. And you know, in the last few years, it hasn't, you know, hasn't, it hasn't happened. But we got, a, we got a nice core, and 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 you can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. What, what do you like most about this group? Well, I like the I like the young guys that we got. I like the the development of Mankata, the development of t- uh, Tim Anderson. You can see uh, uh, Eloy has uh, gotten better from from this first day to to you know September the sixth or seventh, whatever the day is. And, and you know the, the young pitching that we got, we still got some guys that's, that's missing from the pitching. You know, I like to see those guys get get healthy and see and see what we got. Do you talk to Tim Anderson about winning the batting title? No, no, no. I talked to Tim Madison about finding a way to get one hit every day. That's it. And at the end of the at the end of the year, yeah, we see where see where it stacks. I'm not gonna say anything to him, but you think he's gonna do it? I haven't really given it much thought. I don't, I don't even know what the leaderboard look look like. Uh, I, he's up three on DJ Lemayhew. He's at 3.32, and DJ's sitting there at 3.29. Is that right? Oh, I did not know that. I, I mean, I. I you know, in the past, I kept saying he wasn't qualified. He didn't have enough uh, plate appearances, uh, so I guess he—I guess he got him now. He does. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. I'm rooting for him then. No. That's a huge deal. Like you would never have thought that—that's a batting title guy, right? No, no, you're right. I, I wouldn't. And like I said, I—I I hadn't even given it much thought till you just brought it up, and now you tell me he leading the league and hitting, but. American League with twenty five games to go, twenty some games to go. Let's let's do this, let's do this. Come on, come on, trick, get them going. Debo, good to see you. All right, thanks, appreciate you. Daryl Boston, twenty one games to go, indeed. As the White Sox sitting at sixty two and seventy nine. The Debo interview sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. Daryl Boston, 
Uh, one of my favorite people on the club. Always positive to be around, doing a great job over there. And I, I love what he does with the when the White Sox honor whatever veteran it is. Him and Nick Capra uh, tend to split that duty, and it's uh, they, it means a lot to to both of them. White Sox and Angels coming on up here. Coming up next on White Sox Weekly, Ron Kittle is in the building today, so we're going to talk to Kitty coming back here as uh, Kitty's got a, a special uh, night here at the Shy Sox Bar coming up on Monday night. And uh, Ron's going to tell a story about his career that I, I did not know until speaking with him today uh, where he just had some big-time tragic injuries uh, early in his career that he was able to come back from. Uh, so that is straight ahead. The Kitty Cat up next on White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Uh, Ron Kittle's out here tonight. you got your charity event coming up on Monday. I, it's, I know it's always a big deal for you. Well, it, it's good to do any kind of charity work, but it's called Kitty and Friends Cigar Social. Uh, it kind of started when uh, you got the owner who likes cigars and you want them involved, have a cigar party. But, you know, a lot of people come and don't sm- uh, smoke cigars. They sit there and drink. We casual. It's a great evening. It's at Chai Sox Bar and Grill. And you can go on ronkittlecharities.org. Uh, you want information on it. And... Uh, this is my third year. First year we honored Jerry. Last year we did Jim Tomey. This year we're honoring Harold Baines. And uh, you get a great swag bag, and it's just a good night out. We had you on the show before uh, Harold went into the Hall of Fame, so we haven't talked to you afterwards. How, how did he do? What did you think of the speech and, and, and the Harold Baines day out here? I know this is your guy. Well, you know what? I've been with him since 1979, so I love the guy like a brother. And uh, he did a great speech in Cooperstown. He did another one here at the ballpark. Uh, I was honored when they asked me to build him something unique, and I did. I built him a water-jetted steel I-beam, and uh, I thought it looked fabulous. He liked it. I got people who want it. Uh, and Harold says, no, that's one of a kind. No, you're not building any more of it, so uh, you got to listen to him. But, uh, you know, he's one of my good friends. We were just talking here a second ago, uh, and and you were t- you were talking about the injury that maybe people wouldn't remember. Uh, you're playing first base. Ozzy's at short. Rob Deere hits a ground ball, and take it from there. You know, it was, Ozzy had time, but he you know he took too much time, and he threw a little floater in the first, and I caught it, uh, tucked my arm in because that's how you can break your wrist. And uh, Rob Deere hit me full speed. It wasn't his fault. He was he was running like he should and uh two discs blew out of my lower back in 1989 and it kind of just derailed my career for a second time and you know what when you got spinal injuries uh they're hard to come back from but you know i played one day in the big league that was a bonus because after i broke my neck uh they said i wouldn't do anything so i had a lot of fun i just wish i would have stayed healthy and uh and really put up some numbers you broke your neck when you were 19 years old, correct? First game, first at bat with a Los Angeles Dodgers minor league team. Uh, I hit a double. Mike Sosha hits a bloop single. I score, and the catcher lands on me at home plate, and they took me off in a stretcher. And, uh, you know, that's pretty tough when you're an 18-year-old kid. You're in the game, and 18, you're out of the game. But, you know, I, I hated everybody when it happened, but things happen for a reason in life, and I had to accept it. And, uh, you know, you got to move on and uh, enjoy life. How did you get yourself back where, you know what, I'm going to get through this injury and I'm going to play in the big leagues? You know, I had a tough dad, and uh, Nautilus was just coming into the own. So I started working out. Uh, coincidence, I worked out with uh, Dick Butkus at the time when he blew his knee out with the Nautilus Corporation, and I was about 185 pounds after surgery. Uh, working with him pretty much throughout the winter, I weighed 245. I became as strong as you can possibly get, and uh, and it's helping. uh like I said, I got the aches and pains every single morning, but I joked the last time I felt good, I was 12, 
And I, that, that's not even a joke. That's almost the truth. But, you know, you got to keep fighting and come to the day uh, with a positive attitude all the time. Kitty worked out with Butkus? That's amazing. Yeah, you know, and I see him uh, time to time, and I told him the story, and he goes, I remember the young kid. He didn't know it was me, and, I, you know, when you're a young, skinny kid, you don't know. But he goes, I do remember the process where this big old man was a Hulk after it was all over with. Were you intimidated by him, I would think? No, you know what? I was a sports fan, but I, I didn't know. I was trying to rehab myself. And, uh, I mean, there's nothing I could do at the time with a broken neck. Uh, as soon as they took the halo off, I thought my head was going to fall off. And uh, it took me a lot of, lot of inner peace uh, to settle down and start working out. I couldn't do anything free weights. I had to do it controlled so I didn't, you know, jerk myself out of a position and hurt myself again but uh it, it's stronger but uh 61 years old and i'm live and i'm above ground how many home runs could 61 year old ron kittle hit right now with with the way the game's being played you just go up there and try to crush it every time you probably did that back then anyway but it's a home run game now in a different way yeah this is a different ball game uh it, i i could probably <laughs> I, I would be over 40 accidentally to tell you the truth the ball's I got to say, it's got to be juice because there's guys who never hit home runs or hitting 10 and 12 home runs a year. So something's different. But uh, I'd rather just sit in the stands and watch it and need to have, have a buffet at the ballpark. And, and go to a charity event on Monday night, get the cigar out, have a nice night. We were in the Shy Sox bar yesterday for pregame, and I've been there a million times. The place is phenomenal. Got great food. I mean, where else would you want to be on a Monday night? Well, you know, you can't smoke inside the building, but they got the two brand new tents outside. But the food, it's, it's all top notch. Gibson, Gibson's is catering it. Uh, we got top bourbons and you know any kind of drink you want out there it's a four and a half hour event uh i, I raised over fifty thousand the last two years hopefully we're going to try to top that this year with that amount and uh like i said it's you got to give back to the community and i do website again uh ron kittle charities.org before you go what happened to the bears on thursday uh you know what i saw honestly i was working i, I saw one play and it was when he threw the touchdown pass that's the only play i saw the whole day and uh i'm, I'm a chicago sports fan i want all my chicago teams to win and uh it's a long season for them too and they're going to play better except for that team on the north side right uh i, I watch them i watch everybody i like everybody playing good base because winning in chicago is winning for the whole city and it's a good thing that's oh, a beautiful thing ron kill always good to see you thank you very much and there he is, Ron Kittle, come on out on Monday night to the Shy Sox Bar. And, by the way, you can also head to the Power for Dollar Hot Dogs every Wednesday home game this season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal. Wednesday, September the 11th, as the Sox take on the Royals at 7, 10 p.m. It's brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more at Securian.com. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Dollar Dogs today. Quick timeout when we come back. Going to give some love to Luis Robert, who got yet another award yesterday. We'll talk about the future and uh, just a tremendous season for Luis next on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. So, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy. I believe his name is Luis Robert. We were talking about him. Yesterday on the pregame show, we've been talking about him all year. Uh, and he was named the Major League Baseball Pipeline Player of the Year. Uh, now, the White Sox actually had the Pipeline Player of the Year last year, and Dylan Cease got the Pitcher of the Year. Uh, Luis was named the USA Today Minor League Player of the Year earlier in the week, and then he gets the Pipeline Player of the Week. So that's back-to-back, him and Cease, last year, this year. That's pretty impressive for the organization. 
Luis Robert finished, just to remind everybody, 328 was the batting average on three levels. 376 on base, OPS of 624, uh, or rather slugging of 624, I should say. And 32 homers, 92 RBIs, 108 runs scored, 31 doubles, 11 triples. Don't forget, 36 stolen bases. Now, all those numbers, by the way, are in only 122 games. Think about that if you put that over a 160-game season, say he plays 155 of them. Granted, it's going to be on the big league level, a little bit more challenging, but, I mean, this is just preposterous what he did this year. Class A Winston-Salem, Double A Birmingham, and Triple A Charlotte. Whether he'll start the year uh, with the White Sox next season or whether he's up after a couple, three weeks. Either way, uh, it's going to be somebody that's going to be incredibly fun to watch play baseball on the south side for an awful long time. Quick break. Update uh, coming up here with the news update at the top of the hour. And then we will get into a conversation with Chuck Swirsky, who's doing TV this weekend. Jason Benetti has college football duties. So Swirsk is in. We'll talk White Sox, and uh, we'll talk about everything that Chuck uh, is doing, including a little conversation about the Bulls as well. And uh, Chuck's journey on WGN. All that coming up after 5 o'clock. It's White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Things to watch for tonight, White Sox and Angels. Jose Abreu, one homer away for his fourth career, 30 homer and 100 RBI season. He's already up to 107 RBIs. He's going to finish with a career high in RBIs in his career. Jose's been incredibly consistent, always between 100 and 107. He's going to top that this season. Tim Anderson is on fire. He's hitting 392. In his last 22 games, 15 of the 22, he's had multiple hits. He had a couple of hits last night, including a home run. Uh, so Timmy coming into tonight rolling. And so is Aloy Jimenez. 395, three doubles, two homers, six RBIs in his last nine games. And has just looked more and more comfortable at the plate. And actually could be even hitting better than that. He's been robbed a couple of times, especially in the Cleveland series with the bases loaded in the ninth inning. That could have given the White Sox the lead, but uh, Eloy coming and rolling tonight. All right, let's get a check of news coming up here. Uh, And then Chuck Swirsky right after the 5 o'clock news. Anderson, deep drive, left field, looking up, and this ball leaves out of here. Tim Anderson with a two-run shot. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. Chuck Swirsky is on the TV broadcast this weekend. This has got to be a little bit of a thrill for you, like a treat that you get to come in and do these games, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the fifth straight season that I've been able to fill in. It's a pleasure because the White Sox organization, especially the communications department that I directly deal with, with Bob Grimm and whatnot, they've been sensational. And, of course, working with Steve Stone, it doesn't get any better than that. So let's rank your sports here, Chuck. You're obviously basketball announcer, but favorite sports growing up for Chuck Swirsky? How, where, where, do you, what's number one, two, three? I know it's tough to do. Well, it depends on the season. That's how I roll. And it sounds like a cop-out answer, and it's not. But the truth of the matter is that growing up, I mean, the major four sports, I grew up in Seattle. And so, in fact, um, 
Seattle did not have a major league team when I was a little boy. It was a triple-A ball club of the Red Sox. And one of the star pitchers in the Red Sox system, triple-A ball club, the Seattle Rainiers, of course it was Mount Rainier as well, but uh, was Wilbur Wood, who had a terrific career with the White Sox. Then the Seattle Angels, the triple-A ball club of the LA Angels, California Angels. And then the Pilots came in in 69. I'm really dating myself here. But I love baseball. And then basketball, the Sonics... Uh, became an expansion ball club in 1967. And so I lived, ate, and breathed Sonics ball. I mean, it was great. Um, you know, we had a, a hockey team in the Western Hockey League, the Seattle Totems. And as far as uh, football, we didn't have a pro football team. The expansion Seahawks came in in the mid-'70s. So University of Washington was very, very popular, and that was really the football franchise in the Pacific Northwest, the Huskies. So I'm just trying to remember, of that of those teams, I can name some Sonics. I got Jack Sigma. Yeah. Was uh, Dennis Johnson was a Sonic? Was he now before he was a Celtic? Yes. And I mean that's 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 Seattle needs an NBA team, Chuck. Yes, they do. I agree with you. In fact, uh, you should mention Jack. Jack and I are very close. He invited me to the Hall of Fame ceremonies that were conducted yesterday in Springfield, Mass. Long overdue for Jack. And I know a number of your listeners um, from downstate Illinois remember Jack as a great player at St. Anne and then Illinois Wesleyan under Deddy Bridges. But Jack and I have remained friends for over 40 years. He was an outstanding player with the Sonics, number 43. And I'm very, very proud of him. He's a great person, number one. And secondly, just to see how his, uh, his career blossom in front of me from day one as a rookie to the point now he's enshrined in the Hall of Fame is fantastic. Let me take a left turn here because we're doing some history. How old were you when you were at WGN you first started doing sports show? I was 27 years old. And uh, Dan Fabian hired me. Uh, we began talking late 1981. I joined GN in early 82. Uh, I was sports director at 27 years old, and I was doing pre-half and post on the Bears, pre and post on the Cubs. I was doing, actually at the time I was hired, I was doing uh, AM and PM drive. Uh, Wally Phillips asked me to sit in with him for uh, some sports casts. I was on with Bob Collins and Bill Berg, uh, and then it just took off to... Sports Central with Jack Brickhouse at 6.15 to 7 o'clock. So I probably worked on an average anywhere between 15 to 17 hours a day. But for a 27-year-old kid who loves sports, you named every team in the history of Seattle. This had to be beyond the dream at that point. Well, it was. I mean, you know, here I am, and, and I'm working with um, Jack Brickhouse, Harry Carey, Milo Hamilton, Vince Lloyd, Lou Boudreau, we got the Bears rights in 1985. We hired Wayne Larravee as voice of the Bears. Joining him in the booth was Jim Hart, an exceptional quarterback in his day, excellent broadcaster. Dick Butkus joined us. Uh, Hub Arkush, who I had a relationship with almost from day one when I came to Chicago. And, I mean, it was an incredible experience to be around those names and what they've accomplished in sports year after year after year. And Harry, of course, is on both sides of town. Do, do you have a, a favorite Harry Carey story? On the air or off the air? The best one you're willing to give. <laughs> well, no. You know, one thing, I, I'll say this. The, the passion that Harry brought was sincere and it was real. And, you know, Harry, when he was with the White Sox, 
he was a different broadcaster with the White Sox than he was with the Cubs. And when he was with the White Sox, he was combative. He was, you know, not afraid to push the envelope as far as, um, you know, criticizing managers, players, and whatnot. And that was his style. Um, something that that's not my style, but he did. And then all of a sudden he goes to the Cubs and almost becomes a cheerleader, so to speak. Uh, but it became, became very, very popular. And really, with all the success he had as a broadcaster for the Cardinals, a brief time with the um, Athletics one season, and then with the White Sox, he hit his pinnacle of success, so to speak, as in popularity with the Cubs. And, I mean, you know, everything, the stars aligned when Harry joined the Cubs. I want to ask you one Bulls question before we uh, let you go here. Everyone's looking for a tick up this year, and some are talking about the playoffs. I think that's a you know that'd be a huge leap. How are you looking at uh, what's realistic for this team coming into the season? Well, the realistic thing is number one, they got to stay healthy, and when I say that, I mean they've got to stay healthy and put a competitive ball club with at least their starting you know nine man rotation, because really it's very very difficult. And you've been around watching every team to judge a ball club when they can't play or when your significant players, your core players, are unable to play because of injury. So that's what I'm hoping. If they can stay healthy, I'm very optimistic. I love what they've done over the last two and a half, three years, remodeling this roster and going in the direction. Um, you know, The talent they've got um, is on the upside, something that is very important to me because these players haven't even scratched the surface of their skill set yet. So I think if I'm a Bulls fan, I'm saying, okay, you know what? The pieces are starting to come together, and I'm excited to see this club grow. It's sort of similar to what's going on over here for the game you're calling tonight. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. Very much of a similar situation with the core group of what the White Sox are doing. They're going to pepper in veteran players, as the uh, Bulls have done, because I'm a big fan of Thaddeus Young. Big fan of Thaddeus Young, even dating back to his days, briefly, of course, at Georgia Tech. But when he first came to the league with Philadelphia, wow. And every team I've spoken to that's had him, whether it's Minnesota, Brooklyn, you know, you look at Philadelphia, Indiana, they all rave about him in the locker room, certainly on the court. He's a, he really is a very durable player. And I think one of the best pickups of any club during the course of the offseason was picking up Thomas Sadoransky. Oh, wow. You Okay. I. Somebody who could stabilize the backcourt, I guess, is how you're looking at it. Yeah, and he has some, you know what, I know it's overused, but he does play with some grit and toughness, something Jim Boylan likes. But I, I do believe there's still an element. I know we get carried away with the finesse of the NBA and the beauty of the NBA, and everyone's running, and I want to run too. I'm a fan. I love to see the excitement of baseline to baseline, something that you know Kobe White's going to bring with a ball club, the guard out of North Carolina, number seven overall. But you still have to have some toughness. You still have to have a lockdown mentality that when you need to stop, you're going to get it. Or when you're down by five or seven points with less than two minutes to go, that the thought process is this game isn't over. We can win this game. We're just not going to you know, settle for a, a shot that's probably uh, not in the playbook or inopportune or whatever. And so I think what Sadoransky is going to do, he's a multi-talented player, well-versed in moving off the ball with the ball. So let's see what happens. Before they retire, two names I want you to say one more time in a Bulls uniform. Number one, Joakim Noah. Number two, Derrick Rose. I don't think it's necessarily right right now, and obviously Derrick's time with Detroit. Joe's still out there. 
But uh, it would be nice to see those guys end up back in Chicago, at least from my perspective. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll let the front office handle that. But I will say this. During my time with the Bulls, when Joe and Derek were members of the organization, I can't tell you what a pleasure it was to be around them as people, number one, and secondly, as players. And, you know, Joe was the defensive player of the year in the NBA, always left it on the floor. And then, of course, Derek, MVP of 22 youngest in the history of the sport. So I just wish him well. I hope Joe finds a roster space this season. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. And, and I hope one day Derek's number hangs from the Raptors because I think he deserves the youngest MVP in the history of the league. Chuck, great to see you. Thank you very much. Chuck Zwerski, who will be on the TV call tonight, White Sox and Angels coming up here. Think about that, 27 years old, Chuck started at 720 WGN, of course, in the WGN Hall of Fame now, and getting to call a game tonight on the TV side, and uh, of course he'll be doing basketball uh, when that season comes around, which is sooner than later at this point. Uh, grab your friends while you can, and head to the park for bleachers and brews. That's presented by Budweiser. You get one bleacher seat and two beers for just $22 all season long. You do have to be 21 over, 21 and over and with a valid ID to purchase tickets. Visit whitesocks.com slash brew and enter that promo code brew. Pre-game coming up at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to talk about Lucas Giolito coming on back here. There's a couple of things in front of Lucas as, uh, I think, let's see here, for 21 games he's got roughly, let's call it, uh, four more starts to go uh, and perhaps going to be named the comeback player of the year. Quick timeout on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. White Sox and Angels pregame, bottom of the hour. My favorite part of the show, we're doing the pre-pre, bringing Andy Mazer. What's up, Andrew? I'm well and good. How are you today? I'm excellent. Lucas Giolito is in the White Sox notes today. As they write, he's attempting to become the first pitcher in White Sox history, didn't know that, uh, to be the named the comeback player of the year. Got any argument against Lucas getting that award? No, none whatsoever. I mean, uh, he ended last year as the... Highest ERA among qualified starting pitchers. That wasn't good. That was not very good. And uh, I think you were around when he was when he addressed everybody after his last start of last year. It was kind of matter of fact about the whole thing, and just to said, you know, this is what the, what it is. I, I I'm not going to be this way next year. And I think he already had that plan kind of in mind, going back home and uh, and seeking out some not only some physical changes but some some mental changes as well to kind of help him get through some of the the rough spots that he wasn't able to get through last year. I, I have no qualms with that at all. I mean, you look at what he's done. I mean, the guy's an all-star, for goodness sakes. Over 200 strikeouts, taking the ball pretty much every fifth day, three complete games, two shutouts. Hard to argue. Sixth in the uh, American League in the area, 3.27. You mentioned the strikeouts. He's sixth in that as well, 216. Uh, long, long, long list of accomplishments that I'm not going to go through right now, but uh, I do we all agree that he's going to pitch to the end of the year? Do you think he you think they shut him down before the end? No, I think they keep him going. I mean, there, there's some things that he he still wants to do and uh, and accomplish. You know, you want to get that win total as high as you possibly can. You want to try to get your your ball club some wins and try to uh, get that uh, that strikeout total too. You know, the only thing I was thinking about today, you know, we, we were talking. I was talking to a couple of the Angels broadcasters that I've known for a while, and we were, I was talking to them about some of the guys that are around this ball club now that have really kind of uh, appeared out of nowhere, so to speak, this year. You know, Tim Anderson with Yomankata. Uh, with uh, Ilo Jimenez, and uh, among those guys, now you have to realize too that these guys are are getting into spots where they haven't been before, 
as far as games played and things of that nature, but they're also getting into the numbers where they haven't been there stat-wise either. So it kind of raises the bar for what people will expect from them, not just for the end of this year, but also looking ahead to 2020, which will be a good challenge, I think, for a lot of these younger players to realize that, you know, one season doesn't make a career, and you have to continue to work. And I think Tim Anderson uh, is probably the one that knows that the most, watching him go about his business and watching him work in the way that uh, he has really developed into a, a leader this year. I think that uh, that shouldn't be an issue for him. And I think the, the, the sky's the limit for guys like Eloy once they start to figure out, uh, I think he's starting to figure out what pitchers are trying to do to him, and he's laying off that slider that he wasn't laying off early. So we've seen a lot of good, and uh, again, it, it makes it interesting to, for how they're going to perform next season and what they're going to do this offseason to get better. Well, speaking of Tim Anderson specifically, what you just ran through, and we were out here early today because Andy and I are working hard. <laughs> we're grinding out here, getting ready for White Sox Weekly and pregame and everything else. But there's Ryan Goins, there's Danny Mendick taking ground balls. Okay, those guys are battling to get somewhere in the big leagues. It's mm-hmm. late in the year. Not super surprising to see that. And not surprising either, but worth noting that Tim Anderson's out there. And he has had some struggles at short this year that I think, uh, you know, he... He obviously would like to play the position smoother uh, or less errors for even just a more basic way of putting it than uh, than he has. But to the fact that he's still going, yeah. trying to get better here as we get towards the end of September, that in itself is impressive. Yeah, and Joe McEwing has talked about that a number of times. Joe is the one usually out there hitting the fungos to them and, and helping uh, helping these guys get through situations that they're in. And, and you know, the, the realization of the fact that uh, Anderson has as many errors as he does you know, Ricky pointed it out the other day. He gets the more balls than a lot of shortstops will get to. And, you know, more often than not, if you have that many chances, you're going to make some bad plays and you're going to make some errors. Uh, the thing that he needs to work on now, because he is so athletic and can get to so many uh, balls that other shortstops can't get to, it's that decision-making whether or not do I make the throw across thinking I can actually get him or do I hold it and just save the, uh, hold the guy to an infield single and not give him second base with an overthrow or a throw that gets into the dirt. And those are things that are going to come along uh, w- with time with him. And I-, I don't worry about those kind of things with him because of exactly what you're pointing out. Tireless worker and uh, a guy that always wants to get better. I remember asking him in spring training. I said, you know, a lot of guys will come here and want to work on one specific thing. I said, is that is that the case with you? He goes, everything, man. He goes, no, man, everything. I'm working on everything. And that's exactly what he said yeah. because, uh, and it was the truth. He was working on the backfields uh, trying to, tr- to improve the fielding. He was in a cage all the time uh, taking batting practice and, and hitting. And, uh, you know, he became a better base runner, too, I think, this year, which uh, kind of has gone on notice with all the uh, the flashy stats that, that he has put up here. So I think that that's another thing that has kind of gone on notice. And one other thing to point out to you, too, you know, Aaron Bummer made a play last night or didn't make a play last night, uh, which should have been a double play, which probably would have ended the inning and would not have given him the chance for uh, the Goodwin home run to tie the ball game up in the eighth inning. He was out here on the field today working on throws to first, yep. working on throws to second, with Josh Osich out there trying to help him, too. Fellow lefties that you know kind of understand what it is to fall off to one side of the mound and make that sure quick throw over. So, uh, you know, these guys don't want to make the errors. I know fans are upset about these things, and, you know, you, you have the right. Obviously, you come to pay your money and, and uh, listen to the ball games here, and you, you want them to make every play. And, of course, last night's play uh, or misplayed, May have cost the team a, a ball game there, but uh, you know Aaron Bummer, knowing what it is, today is another day. You got to get out there, and you can't make the same mistake twice. And he was out there working hard this afternoon too. Yeah, and I, 
I commented uh, to him about that when you know we talked to him earlier, and, and Debo down there rooting him on. All, all those things are, are very positive. And Timmy, by the way, yeah. if he does win the batting title, he would join Frank Thomas. So you got to go back to 1997 with Frank at 347. And Luke Appling in 1943 and 1936. Frank, Luke, and Timmy, if he can do this, as the only White Sox in the history of the ball club to ever lead the American League in average. That is uh, that is some pretty elite company for Timmy if he can get it done. Yeah. And even if he doesn't get it done, it's a great year. But at this point, you might as well go and grab it. You may as well, exactly. And, he, and he's facing a guy, uh, facing off with a guy, I guess you could say, and DJ LeMayhew, who has won a batting title already in his career. That was in 2016 where he had 348 for the uh, the Colorado Rockies. So he kind of knows what, uh, what it takes, especially down the stretch. And I don't anticipate Tim Anderson taking any days off to uh, protect his quote-unquote uh, lead as far as the batting average is concerned because that's not what this is all about, and he knows that. I mean, that's just kind of an added bonus if he's able to get to it because this team, uh, with its next win, will surpass last year's total, and uh, that's something that uh, they were looking to do, obviously, but you still have a, about 20 games left, so you want to get as many of those victories as you can, and and make the record respectable and give yourself a, a good feeling going into the offseason. Yeah, this time last year the White Sox were sitting on 56 wins. Right now they're sitting on 62, and I know everybody would like to have more. I, I'd like to, I wish you know they were closer to 500. But uh, as we've been talking about, so many good things have happened this year that just gives, at least gives me a ton of optimism of what next year can be. We'll see you on the pregame show. And Andy, you're going on the road, man. You're getting yeah. to do some TV. I'm going to do the uh, the TV thing. A little, you know, the, the radio face on television will be uh, coming up next weekend in uh, Seattle. I've got the uh, the Friday and the Saturday games as uh, Jason Benetti continues his uh, obligations with the uh, four letter network, doing some uh, some football, and I'll be uh, try to I'll try to fill his shoes because uh, he's a pretty talented guy. You know, Darren Jackson's uh, family lives out there. Why don't you get some dinner with DJ's family? Have have you know bring you over? I think that would be a really nice idea if he just invited me on his own. I mean, I don't know if I want to really go in there. I, and ask, I would just but, pop you know, in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the, the popping would not be a, a recommended that, that, thing. That would be aggressive. Yes. All right, well, Andy, we'll be back yeah. with you in a couple of minutes. Here, appreciate the time.